You're listening to the ProcureTech Podcast, your weekly show for all that's cooking in the digital procurement space. Yes, we've got the hottest startups, thought leadership and conversation from visionary industry experts and definitely no stiff corporate content. I'm your host, James Meads, procurement pro, digital nomad and ProcureTech fanboy. And now here's this week's show. Yes, hello, and welcome to a rather special edition of the ProcureTech podcast, because yes, as you may be able to tell from the background noise, I am at an in-person conference for the first time in almost two years, and you can probably tell I'm rather excited to be here. Uh, I'm at Procurement Summit in Berlin, and I'm going to be partnering with Procurement Summit to bring some interviews and insights from some of the startups that are exhibiting and pitching here during the event, especially shining a light on some of the less well known newer startups that are really starting to establish themselves and grow in the space to feature a little bit about what they do, what kind of problems they solve and where they see themselves going in the future. So we're going to be focusing on three different groups of startups. We're going to look at three startups in the ESG space and risk management space. Then we're going to look at another three in the game theory and AI space that heavily rely on that as part of their USP and solution. And then finally, we're going to be looking at three different providers that are in the services procurement space, which is also a very, very quickly growing segment of the market. So without any further ado, let's jump into our first round of startup interviews. So my very first guest in the sustainability ESG risk management segment is Tobias Bornhoff from Ship Zero. Tobias, welcome to the show. Hi, James. It's a pleasure to be here. Fantastic. So let's just jump in, give us a very quick overview of what it is that you're doing at Ship Zero, because you're very much into reducing and evaluating transport emissions, which I think is really important function for everyone going forward as we look towards easy wins with sustainability. That's uh, definitely correct um, and a very emerging uh, field that we are working in. Um, Ship Zero is a data platform to track, most importantly manage and analyze the transport emissions for um, freight uh, buyers. And uh, what we do is basically, first of all, um, provide a layer of transparency um, about global supply chains and transport chains and then dig really deep into the data and find potentials where um, companies can reduce by smart decision making their transport footprint. And I love what all of these innovations are doing in the in the CO2 and sustainability space because I just ideologically um, am, am more of a, a light touch person when it comes to regulation. And I really think that innovation is the best way out of this crisis rather than just trying to tax and ban everything. And this really speaks to that. So how can buyers or how can companies make smarter decisions and how can software help them to do that? Especially when you're thinking perhaps in things like should you bring something by road or by sea with multimodal transport decisions or perhaps thinking about where to place a new production facility or to source new uh, to source new goods from in terms of supply sources how does this come into play um, well i think there are two main levers um, that you can distinguish one is of course that 
you have now technology in place that allows data sharing between companies. And as you know, the transportation market is really fragmented. So there are a lot of different companies, yeah. small companies with uh, not that sophisticated IT structures, maybe. And for them, it's quite difficult to share information with their partners. There are, of course, uh, other reasons not to do that. Um, but I think there is new technology, cloud, um, AI, of course, in place that makes it really easy to, to share this kind of information. And then you have a broader and more granular data set that you can work on. The second topic, of course, if you talk about decarbonization, then you have also the physical technology, so the assets really, or the fuels that are um, created or powered by renewable energy. And both are coming into place right now. So, so that is the reason why this segment is super interesting right now. And then uh, in the combination, you can identify um, basically two ways. One is the incremental optimization, which is in place for quite some years, but not... Um, not used or fully utilized by the companies as of today. So you can be always more efficient in your processes and in decisions on um, which transport mode do I choose for a certain trade lane, for example. Um, the other thing is, of course, that you can now simulate the effect of, let's say, um, putting a battery electric vehicle into place instead of a diesel uh, truck, for example. And then you have a delta that you can really measure and uh, where you can base your decisions, also your investment decisions uh, into and, and select the suppliers that um, comply with your climate goals. Ah, so that's so you can not only just me uh, measure and compare two different modes of transport or, or transport from two different geographical locations, you can also look at what would the effect be in terms of CO2 if you switched from a supply chain using diesel trucks to, to electric trucks, for example. That's exactly right, and I think that is uh, one of the key elements that becomes more and more interesting. Because of you have some restrictions with new technology. When we talk about battery electric vehicles, for example, you have range, you have payload uh, topics that are quite different to, um, to diesel trucks, for example. But um, you can consider this if you have a granular data stream uh, from, for example, the telematics of the truck, and you can analyze that and say, okay, which kind of transports can I really shift to battery electric uh, vehicles in an economically viable way and not just out of my um, uh, conviction that it needs to happen, uh, but we combine basically the, the need for decarbonization with the business uh, value uh, behind it as well. Uh, and if you think about the carbon price that is rising, I think the EU carbon price um, all, almost tripled uh, within this year. So you see definitely an effect that is coming into place. And um, yeah, therefore, the, the need for, for a solution like Strip Zero is, is rising. And what size of company typically would, would you need to be to be able to really see payback for this? Is it, is it based on a company's transportation spend or is it more based on a company's overall turnover? Well, if you talk about uh, the overall turnover, I would say that medium-sized companies in the range of 100 million plus revenue are uh, interesting as a customer for us right now. That's we, sort of dollars or euro or... Yes, yeah. yes. And uh, 
we hope, of course, that we can go even even uh, lower than that because um, uh, once the the solution um, gets more and more efficient, then of course also smaller companies can benefit from it. If you talk about um, other aspects, then I would say it's the industry um, that matters. For example, if you look at chemicals or the automotive segment, where you know that the core business model of those companies is in danger or at least really affected by this global decarbonization and transformation, yeah. those companies are more likely to, to act right now. Uh, and so that is a really interesting space right now. If if someone was thinking, yes, this is great, but it's not our priority, we'll look at it in three to five years' time, what, what would be your answer to them? Um, my answer would be um, that starting today has a lot of benefit um, because once you set up all these processes, which cannot be done overnight, if you talk about integrating your supply chain partners, for example, that takes some effort, you will definitely benefit a lot from having all this data in five years' time. Uh, and be uh, way ahead of competition, actually, rather than starting when um, the last ones get to the point where they um, recognize that it's necessary to, to have this data inside level. So um, my advice would be to start uh, in the earliest uh, time possible. The best day would be yesterday, but today yeah. is also <laughs> a good option. Yeah, and it goes to the age-old saying, doesn't it, that the best day to start saving for your retirement is the first day of work, but True. your best, the, be the next best day to start doing it is, to is today. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So in terms, of, in terms of growth, I mean, you're a pretty young company, so what, what are your next steps, what are your next challenges or next objectives? Well, I think uh, transportation is, of course, a global challenge or a global uh, sector. So um, uh, we need uh, we need to scale the company um, to to face this this problem and uh, play a significant role. My um, conviction is to have an impact on this um, on this topic. Um, we are very specialized, but we want to grow. Of course, um, we are currently focusing on the European market. Uh, of course, dealing with global transports, but with our European customers. And uh, one of the next steps would be, of course, internalization and, of course, the, the growth of the team with, with more and more uh, satisfied customers and then really prove that, uh, that the system works and, and you get uh, not only an, a benefit on the, on the mission side um, of savings, but also on the commercial side of savings. So if anyone out there is looking to optimize and evaluate their transportation emissions and look at the best mode of transport or the best means of transport in terms of, in terms of fuel when we're looking at renewables, Ship Zero is a solution that offers that. Finally, Tobias, if anyone would like to learn more about this or to get in touch with you, where's the, where's the best way that they can reach you? You can reach us at uh, shipzero.com, of course, if you want to have a look at more information and uh, more insights about the tool. And uh, personally, I'm um, best available on LinkedIn. So simply search for Tobias Bonhoff and then reach out. Um, I'm happy to discuss. And we'll link to all of that in the show notes. So Tobias, wish you success for the rest of Procurement Summit. Thank you for joining me on an interview today and, uh, and good luck. Thank you, James. So I'm now joined by our second startup, who is Harald Nitschinger, CEO of Prewave. Harald, welcome to the ProcureTech Podcast Procurement Summit Special. Hi, great to be here. Thanks, James, for having us. And first of all, I have to give you congratulations for winning DPW's uh, Startup Award. So uh, very well done. 
tell us what all the hype is about then. <laughs> what convinced them that you were the best startup among a pitch of over 20 of them, I think? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I mean, at, at Prewave, you're a startup that offers risk intelligence, helping, helping companies gain more transparency into the risks that are happening and are potentially affecting their supply chains. And I think it's on everybody's mind right now. Yeah, it's a hot topic right now. I mean, there's COVID, there's the Supply Chain Act, the Lieferkettengesetz. And I think our yeah, win at, at DPW is a testament to that, that that's just a, a very hot topic that's on everybody's mind. And uh, I think we have a great solution in that area. And I think you're definitely right that it's a growing concern among companies. And I think it's, it really speaks to the fact that procurement and supply chain in general is starting to be seen now as more of a profit center mm. rather than an overhead because solutions like what you do really speak to that, don't they? Absolutely. I think that's a, a great trend that you speak to there that particularly in consumer-focusing companies, the supply chain and the procurement side of things is more and more differentiator, um, particularly when you think about uh, in the electric car market, for instance, the consumer yeah. is extremely aware about not just, uh, let's say, the uh, CO2 footprint of the product, but also the supply chain sustainability of that product. And that is sort of shown in the way car companies, but really it applies to many other industries as well. Textile, food, of course, come to mind, uh, are focusing on that area. And, and I think for, for good reason. Yeah, it, it helps them not just um, avoid risks, but rather it helps them actually with their top line. So just walk me through then a little bit of what, what does Prewave do and, and how does it add value or, or how does it prevent cost with, with businesses that, that, that would typically invest in something like that? Yeah, absolutely. So what we like to say is that supply chains have never been more complex and intransparent than they are today. Yeah? Large corporations have thousands of suppliers distributed all around the world and they have a very hard time keeping track of what's actually happening at those suppliers on any given day or yeah. potentially in the past. Yeah? And at Prewave, we worked at this point for more than eight years coming from the University of Technology Vienna, building an AI technology to identify precisely those incidents that are critical in supply chains. And here we're talking about things like labor strikes, accidents, pollution, child labor. Uh, those incidents are typically represented in publicly available data, like social media data, news media data, but in the local language of the particular supplier, in Chinese, in Spanish, and it's yeah. extremely hard uh, in, the, in the department, uh, uh, in the central purchasing department, to keep track of all of those things. And we basically... It's impossible, it's basically, especially if it's in local language. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So if you have a global supply chain, it's impossible to keep track of that, and we, we close that gap, and we make that information, we put that at the fingertips of the supply chain managers, purchasers, and sustainability officers at those corporations. So let's just use an example then. Let's say that a textile manufacturer were, was hit by some child labor scandal in Bangladesh. I mean, these, these are real examples. Yep. You see them all the time. How would that then translate into what Prewave yep. would tell the customer? Um, because obviously, not only the value to the supply chain, but the brand damage in that case that that would do has a massive cost when you think of share price and that type of thing. So how does that then translate into data that they would see in the dashboard? Absolutely. Um, so let's stick with that example of child labor. Um, typically, those types of incidents, uh, also pollution and others, they are low. We, we, we basically always say they are known locally, but unknown globally. 
what we mean by that is people in Bangladesh that uh, kind of either work at that factory or maybe are residents or citizens nearby that factory, they know that they are polluting. They know that they have child uh, labor uh, going on there. And they talk about it. And they talk about it on social media, on, on Facebook and on other platforms. But that information is simply not making its way towards the central purchasing departments. Uh, or at least when it does, it comes through NGOs. It comes with a big uh, shitstorm attached to it. Yeah. And that's when the reputational damage happens. We can close that gap. And actually benchmarking has shown that oftentimes we are able to supply that information months before any other channels uh, are supplying that information to our customers. And that is then, those are months where you can actually solve the problem before it becomes a reputational issue for, for the company. So it's like preemptive then before it becomes, like you said, the shitstorm, before it gets really well known and uncovered by, by an NGO, it, it's, it, it's catching it before it gets to that stage. It, I would say before the wave, uh, pre-wave. <laughs> so what, what type of what type of industries then typically I mean I guess it has to be industries that are manufacturing something rather than a service industry but where are you finding typically that there's the most interest for this type of uh, for this type of service yeah of course so it's 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 manufacturing companies that are business to consumer facing that have the highest interest in that just from a as we said reputational perspective but then, of course, they are pushing standards down the supply chain. So you have the tier one suppliers in all various industries that are also now basically required to do something. We have the Lieferkettengesetz, the supply chain law. In that Germany. It, in yeah. Germany, precisely. But something coming along on the EU level as well, maybe next year. Um, so it's really now industry-wide. All companies of a certain size need to do something in that area. And even in, in services-driven industries, the logistics industry, yeah, many of the uh, temporary labor uh, industries, all of that, they also have issues. Yeah? And, and those are things that should not be overlooked. They are not as in f much in focus uh, as manufacturing is in the textile industry, for instance. But it's really across the board uh, where it's of value. Yeah? So this could also track service industries and also look at factors in developed markets as well as in more emerging countries. Precisely. Yeah. 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 How, how do companies typically deal with things that are further down the supply chain. I mean, you raised a good point. I mean, it's, I won't say it's easy, but it's certainly possible to track your tier ones. But then when you get down to your tier threes, tier fours, how do companies do that? Yeah, that, that's that's one of the major issues right now. And what you need to do is you need to take a focused approach. Um, with one of our largest customers, the Volkswagen Group, for instance, we started mapping the supply chains in 16 critical focus raw materials. And those are materials like copper, aluminium, cobalt, uh, conflict minerals. So not across the board, but rather in very focused, uh, potentially problematic materials. And that's where we are mapping. We're using publicly available supply chain data. We're working with the suppliers in those materials to bring more transparency to those supply chains. And that's actually something that is uh, working quite well and where we are uh, making great progress also on, on the mapping front uh, in that area. So. Yeah, and I guess when there will necessarily be certain materials that are more risk-aligned, and, and I guess that's where always the strongest focus is going to be when you look at the markets that they're coming from or, or how dirty the reputation is of a specific industry. You know, mining, is, you know, we all know, has its challenges. Yep. In terms of size of your customer base, mm. are you seeing this more as an enterprise-level solution or are you also seeing sort of mid-market customers gaining an interest in this as well, especially in markets like Germany where they yeah. have this new supply chain law coming in. Absolutely. So we have always positioned ourselves uh, also towards the Mittelstand 
so the meat market in Germany, which is of course quite broad and, and, and the very strong foundation of the German economy, uh, we are not at all only targeting the, the large enterprises uh, with uh, billions in revenues, but rather also the, 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 the Mittelstand, the medium-sized companies. And actually our business model uh, allows for that. Yeah, it's, it's based primarily around the numbers of suppliers that you want to uh, monitor and, and screen. And therefore, a Mittelstand company typically has less suppliers than a Volkswagen, and therefore the, the business model scales also to their size as well. Yeah. That's interesting. So it means that it's still a relatively affordable solution, regardless of the size of the company, because you're, you're measuring it on a, on a supplier per, per supplier basis. Yeah, precisely. And what, what have you think, thought about Procurement Summit? How, how, how do you find the concept and the, and, and, and the crowd and the public? First of all, I think it's great to have an in-person yes. conference. Yeah. <laughs> After all those... <laughs> almost years uh, being all virtual I think it's just a great achievement to have an in-person conference and one that is uh, very professionally executed and organized um, and I think that's that has to be the future and we hope to see many more of, of, of conferences of that of that level and on that order in the in the, in the near future yeah? but so far we're really happy with the, with the event yeah, yeah I, I think it's a great concept too the right mix between startups and more established companies and a very relaxed atmosphere as well yeah. so finally if anyone would like to learn a little bit more about what you do where is the best place that they can find you to learn more about the solution sure so if you're interested please head over to prewave.com you can actually uh, sign up for the tool for free and start testing it uh, with a limited number of suppliers uh, and also head over to LinkedIn and follow us there because that's where we post uh, all of the smaller updates around Prewave as well. So, yeah. Fantastic. Harald, thank you for joining me and wish you success. Thanks for having us, James. So now over to our third and final startup interview in the ESG and risk management space. And I'd like to welcome a bit of a legend in the procurement tech industry, uh, <laughs> Professor Christian Heinrich from CarbMe. Welcome to the ProcureTech podcast and to Procurement Summit. Thanks, James. Happy being here and thanks for the flowers in advance. Nice being here. <laughs> <laughs> so, Christian, walk me through uh, the different scopes because I saw your pitch yesterday and it walked through scope one, scope through two and scope three when it comes to CO2 measurements and reduction. And I guess, myself included, a lot of people out there wouldn't necessarily know what that means when they hear it for the first time. Yeah, that's a very good question and I try to give a, a kind of a high-level uh, intro. What does CO2 reduction mean and especially what kind of impact does it have for procurement? Because in the beginning, in the first moment, every procurement expert would not really think, okay, what should I do with the CO2 topic? I have a CFO, I have a sustainability department who is taking care about that, but I have to deal with a lot of other more important things like shortages, like supply chain quality and other topics. So right now, the topic is that, that we have scope one, scope two and scope three. And all together is the overall emission of your company. And if your company decides to become net zero in, for example, 2030 or 25, then you need to aim for that. And if you want to become net zero, you need to pay your emissions. So either you do it by offsetting fees, so planting trees or investing in projects like that, or you have to pay certificates. And this costs money and the carbon costs increase year by year because uh, regulations increase regarding that. So this means we have three scopes and scope one and scope two. 
is the easiest way to reduce and the fastest. So you get the easy quick wins. For example, for your production, you need energy or in your in your office, you, you have energy, light, heating, etc. And if you just change the traditional energy provider with a green energy provider, you could already realize and gain savings. This means emission reductions. But, and this is the big but, in scope three, there are the 80% of the overall emissions and those are the big, big, big impact CO2 emit emission drivers and you need to reduce it. And right now we come to procurement, scope three and the 80% game for production uh, manufacturing companies um, are in the procurement. So this means procurement and logistics will have, and some already realized that, the others will get it on the table next year, that they have to start thinking about reducing their emissions. And before reducing that, they need to identify and have a transparency, how, how much emissions do I have in my, in my my supply chain. Later on, I am then able to collaborate, negotiate, or use this for negotiations in the, in the supplier relationships. But before that, I need to identify how can I master my 80% challenge, and this will be up to the CPOs. And, and that 80% challenge, so let's assume then that companies have got the easy wins by looking at things like energy efficiency in the production plant and, uh, and, and making their waste and their scrap more recyclable and that type of thing that most companies are aware or have an active program to do, or at least the bigger ones. Where would procurement then start off in terms of looking at this scope three? I mean, transportation, I guess, is a big one, but is, is it also around the recyclability and the reusability of, of the materials in the end product as well? It, it heavily depends. So I would rather focus on decreasing the 80% challenge from a procurement perspective, first of all, with getting transparency regarding my categories. We call it then the... CO2 hotspots. For example, let's assume we have 50 categories in, in the procurement organization. There are some ca categories who are overall and industry independent, very, very uh, emitting, emitting, emission em uh, oriented. For example, packaging, logistics, because logistics is always a topic. But there are also industry relevant topics like alo uh, steel, uh, aluminium steel, or also plastics. So this heavily depends. So first of all, you need to identify, for example, you have 50,000 suppliers. You need to identify who are the 300 suppliers who have the biggest impact, and then I can focus on my 300. So I would not send out emails to all 50,000 suppliers, and I would ra really not send them out from sustainability department because then negotiation is not in the loop. And we need, need to connect the process between sustainability department and procurement in order to empower the procurement leaders, the category managers, to use this information for their negotiations and the RFPs in the next days. And I guess it's targeting those suppliers that can really work with you in a partnership to do something about that. I mean, I always use the, the classic example of, of me as a small business wanting to be a, a new vendor as a, as a consultant to a big company. And they ask me things about what are my sustainability and diversity policies. Well, I don't have one. I'm a one-person business. So there is always that pragmatism that needs to be considered, isn't there? 100% yes, and it, it's very often the Pareto principle. So if you really would like kind of shoot on every supplier, you would also stress your organization too much. So it's really more important that you identify the hotspots and then you start a collaboration. And it's also not about, really not about replacing your existing supplier. It's rather how can I track down 
my emissions together with my existing supplier over the next years? Yeah, how can I make it transparent to this person or this supplier that they need to work according to the targets, but we need to do this together? And this is also, and I'm honest, only possible with a one-on-one -on -one direction. So I would not like to talk about this kind of myths. Yeah, that we have a end-to-end -end transparency. Yeah, you can try it, but. Honestly, we are all long enough in the game. If I have a one-on-one -on -one collaboration and can push it to my next partner and this one can push it to the next partner, we have solved a lot. So I think the case is clear in terms of how you would tackle this in terms of paratoing it and, and sort of fishing out the suppliers that can make the biggest impact. What's the business case or the ROI to use to use software like CarbMe to, to tackle this? What, what, do, what specific problem does it solve? Yeah. At the end, kind of three steps. Beginning getting transparency, then identifying the CO2 hotspots, and then uh, tracking down via collaboration the emissions, and then you save penalties, and you save uh, yeah, costs regarding certificates, and you reach your net zero targets earlier. So that's the result. So you save then at the end the penalties when you become a net zero or, or when you have to become net zero or when you are not an OEM yeah, and you are, for example, tier one or two, tier two, then you get pushed, get the push from your OEM. So you need to show this. You need to show the transparency. That's the one thing. And why do you need software? I think this was the hidden part in your question. Without software, you start sending emails and you do never have precise data, even if you kind of have 100 consultants, let's say, who try to calculate the footprints of, of the products and, and of, the, of the value chain connections. But it's simply not feasible to do this manually because we match environmental databases with your transactions from your ERP and SRM system. And this process is automated and this empowers you not to send emails via the sustainability department. Yeah, instead of that, really work directly with the, with the uh, um, CO2 hotspots and track that down over the years. So it's both the data, it's having a single source of truth, uh, and it's also being able to get you to where you need to go faster, and therein it saves you money because you're avoiding fines. Exactly. So from a technical perspective, there are two layers, process automation and, and the data automation. That's the analytical layer, and uh, the, the, the transaction layer, and then we have the dashboard layer to track that down over the years. And with the dashboard layer, for sure, you, you uh, reduce the costs, or at the end, you avoid the cost. I would not even speak, even if we are in procurement about cost reduction, it's really more a cost avoidance, which is very good if you can do that. And it's the dirty word that finance hates, isn't it? Cost avoidance. I, I'm, I'm a real evangelist of cost avoidance. I think it drives a huge amount of hidden value. But in terms of industry sectors, where are you seeing the, the hotspots? I mean, I guess anything that is very capital intensive and, and emissions intensive. Yeah, exactly. I mean, for sure, that, that's clear. The automotive industry already changed the business model. I do not talk too much about that. But also the machine building, the uh, tier ones, the tier twos regarding the automotive, machine building industry, but also pharmaceutical industry, chemical industry and logistics industry. Companies like Maersk, like Schenker, they have to report their track down emissions also to their clients like IKEA, like Unilever. And that's, yeah. that's a, re a real big thing. But also, and that's something I'd like to mention because I have had a discussion yesterday, the, the SMEs maybe will never have to, to buy any certificates, but they got the pressure and will get the pressure from their OEMs. From their customers, yeah. yeah. So if anyone would like to find out a little bit more about what you're doing, where is the best place to get hold of you and, and learn more about the solution? 
Yeah, first of all, on our website, carpme.com, you can also book slots with me. So just contact us and there you get access to my calendar. Not for every day, but for the afternoon sessions, I have almost every day three hours. But you can also just simply contact me via LinkedIn. You find me uh, with Christian Heinrich or send me an email, christianheinrich at uh, carpme.com. And I will link to all of that in the show notes. Christian, thank you very much for joining me and telling us more about your pretty new company, which is growing quickly from what I gather and uh, wish you success for the rest of the time here at Procurement Summit. Thanks a lot. Pleasure talking to you. And yeah, let's carbonize and uh, decarbonize the world. <laughs> So that rounds off episode one in our three-part series here from Procurement Summit in Berlin. We'll be back next week with episode two, where we'll be featuring three startups that are in the AI and game theory space with their solutions that they offer. If you're interested to check out more about Procurement Summit, just go to procurementsummit.de to find out all about the conference. And if you like this show, then don't forget to subscribe in your favorite podcast player, where you will get notifications every time we release a new episode. Until next week, take care and speak to you then. Bye for now.